Fardaz Amac is committed to Texas Tech, but will the Big Maple ever wear the scarlet and black? We're going to give our take coming up on today's Locked On Texas Tech. Our Locked On Texas Tech, your daily podcast on the Texas Tech Red Raiders, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to Locked On Texas Tech, a member of the Locked On Podcast Network. Thanks for making Locked On Texas Tech your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. Be sure that you are subscribed to our channel if you have not already. I'm Ryan Mainville. I cover Texas Tech for the Dallas Morning News. and I'm joined by Emery Lida, a longtime Texas Tech analyst, writer, and podcaster. And today, we are talking the commitment of Fardaz Amac. We, we've covered him a little bit throughout this offseason, but haven't really taken the time to plunge in depth to his game. So that's what we're here for today uh, on today's episode, which is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online has you covered this season with more props, odds, and lines than ever before. Bet Online, where the game starts. Fardaz Amac is officially a Red Raider. Feels like it's taken a while to get here, but ever since he announced his decision to enter the portal, it seemed like Texas Tech was heavily involved, and now that pays dividends as he has announced his commitment to Texas Tech and Mark Adams. Yeah, I mean, Amac's been one of the first guys to enter the portal, one of the first guys that Tech had interest in. I mean, you look back all the way to as soon as Tech ended the season in the Sweet 16, within a couple of days, you already heard about Amac kind of being a guy that Tech had reached out to. Then obviously when he announced his top five, Tech was on it. You look at a lot of the Twitter interactions he was having all the way back to the start of April. A lot of them included with being with Tech fans, Tech players, among other people. And so it was always one of those things where it looked like he was going to be sort of the expected commitment tech was always the favorite to land him but at the same time it was nice to be able to wrap him up because you still had a lot of high caliber programs that were involved in him at one point you had texas obviously you had gonzaga sort of with the drew timmy timmy situation so he had to evolve it kind of been in there you had iowa arkansas washington all of those programs had some interest and at the end of the day to come away with him Felt pretty nice, and obviously he's someone that can provide a lot of intrigue on the inside. Obviously, you're losing Bryson Williams, you're losing Marcus Santos Silva. So Amac was one of the first real bigs that came onto the portal and looked like a guy that could be a replacement for those guys. And so to be able to get him, it really sort of solidifies your front court quite a bit now. You have Kevin O'Banner, you have Fardos Amac, and now you can say you're kind of in the same situation that you had coming the last season where you have those two bigs. And I mean, looking at it from a statistical standpoint, Amac, someone coming from Utah Valley where he has the the resume, he has sort of the ability. And to be able to bring a guy like that that has a lot of college experience and has been the guy for a team, it's nice. And it just seem it just speaks to what Mark Adams can do in terms of just building a roster. Yeah, and I'd be remiss if I didn't take a second to just shout out Matt Sherbinsky, the director of player development at Tech Texas Tech, or at least one of them, uh, really gets relationships in college basketball, and um, he he's kind of starting to break out. Like this is his first uh, big time job. He he played at Kentucky and Oral Roberts, but the past couple of years he's been at Central Arkansas, and he really helped turn that program into a force in the Southland. I mean, he recruited some big guys to play there, and you ask around and, and you talk to people that know college basketball and that are in the networks, and Sure's name is one that comes up often and was a big part uh, of 
Texas Tech being able to land a Mac as well as the rest of the staff. So got to give a hat tip there. But like you mentioned, this is a big addition because you're losing such a pivotal piece for your offense in Bryson Williams. And I don't really think it's helpful to like use the language of replacements because then I think people, their expectations get out of control. And then when AMAC isn't exactly like Bryson Williams, the, the program is burning down to the ground. But the important thing with AMAC is that you lost a starter who played a tremendous amount of minutes for you on the inside, and you're getting that back. Uh, AMAC's going to be a day one starter if he does end up coming to Texas Tech. He's going to be a guy that is a perennial starter. He's got the ability to do it. He's got the experience to do it. And so that alone, I think, is a really, really key thing for Texas Tech to plug here because we can get into his skills and his abilities, which we will in a minute, but just the ability to add some more experience back in to get a guy that's not going to need any development not really going to be a project and who you can throw in the starting lineup day one is a big, big win for Mark Adams. Yeah, and Amak is a guy that if you look at him, I mean, he's not going to replace Bryson Williams from a pure player standpoint. I mean, obviously, they're different players. They have different skill sets. We'll get into that. But if you're looking at what you can provide to your rotation, he's a guy that you know has a lot of experience as an elite level big at a mid to low major school. And so what that provides you is the confidence that he's, okay with that playing heavy minutes you know that he can do that he averaged 34 minutes a game last season so it's obviously something that he has in his strength in his tool bag to be able to play those heavy minutes and that it gives you more versatility in the front court obviously just having a guy with that pedigree is nice to have on the roster but at the same time it's also one of those things where you bring you bring someone in with that level of ability obviously the rebounding ability is the biggest thing that i think he can bring that you're not going to find anywhere else on the market. I mean, someone's averaged 13 and a half rebounds a game or more the last two seasons. I mean, that's ridiculous. That's Oscar Shibway type numbers, Armando Baycott. Like those are the only other guys in the country that have kind of been on that same stratosphere from a rebounding standpoint. And so to have Amac on the roster and have him with that individual ability, it's really nice. Obviously, I think people that sort of expect him to replace Bryson Williams one-to-one are being a little bit delusional because he can do things that Williams couldn't from a rebounding standpoint and also as a rim protector. And then he also has limitations from kind of a foot speed standpoint and also maybe it's shot not being quite as far along and the finishing kind of needs some work. But overall, I mean, Amex is a guy that if you have him on the roster, it improves your team. And if he's a, if he stays and he ends up coming to tech and doesn't stay in the draft, then it instantly provides a huge relief to a need that you had un- underneath because going into the season with just Kevin O'Banner and Daniel Bacho in the front court was not going to be ideal because compared to what you had this past season. And so that guy like Amac can have the experience that he has and have the ability that he has. It's really nice. And I think it really is one of the more important additions Tech could have made this offseason. Yeah, well, you mentioned the rebounding numbers and those aren't Oscar Shibway, Armando Baycott numbers, they're better. I mean, he's been the best rebounder in college basketball the, the last two years in terms of just a pure statistical standpoint. It's pretty incredible what he's been able to do. I mean, I've talked about this a couple of times on the pod, but the 15 rebounds per game in, in uh, 2020 were, were the most in college basketball since 1980. I mean, it's like this dude was playing against plumbers. I mean, he's making it look easy. And then last year, he's good as well. You know, averages 13.6, a little bit less, but still grabbing three offensive boards a game, which is just 
incredible. And so I think the most projectable skill that Fardoz AMAC will bring is rebounding. And I think that gets overvalued by times um, or at times by Texas Tech fans just because rebounding has been a, a struggle at points over the last couple of seasons. Um, and, and rebounding isn't really a sexy skill. Like it's not something that you're going to be turning on the tape and seeing a lot of rebounds on his highlights, but it's something that every team needs. And, and Fardoz AMAC has been the best at it in college basketball the last two seasons. And so Texas Tech gets an immediate plug and play skill with his rebounding ability. Yeah, I'm usually the one that sort of downplays the importance of rebounding. I really think the difference between four rebounds a game and eight rebounds a game as a player is not as big as people seem to think. And you can kind of, you can utilize the rest of your roster in the margins to kind of overcome some of the rebounding gap. I look at what Houston's done over the years and sort of getting a lot of guards that are high, that have a nose for getting rebounds. I kind of say like rebounding from a big is not overly important as a skill compared to what people seem to think. Unless you're as good at it as Fardal's Amec is. Because, I mean, when he's someone that is averaging over 13 rebounds a game and has the presence on the offensive board that he does and just simply doesn't allow people to get rebounds over him, that's a skill set that you're, you want to have. When you're elite at something to that degree, you take it on your team. That's a benefit. I don't care. As minute as the skill is and as much as I think that teams don't necessarily have to have an elite-level rebounder on your team to be able to win, it's still a valuable trait. I mean, teams have utilized that as a big part of their offense, being able to get offensive rebounds, being able to control the glass on both ends. And so when you have a guy with that elite of a skill set and you can kind of plug the rest of the roster around him and still kind of maintain that hard-nosed effort on the on the glass outside of him, then it's a huge benefit. And they're not empty rebounds, too. They come from him legitimately being good positionally. He doesn't necessarily chase to the degree of a guy like Chris Clark, for example, kind of comes to mind as someone that maybe didn't have good rebounding technique or Hassan Whiteside in the NBA. Like the rebounding for AMAC is something that's legitimately a strength because of his positioning, because of his processing, his ability to sort of read where the ball is going. He's got good instincts. And I think that's going to go a long way. And so in general, I mean, when you have someone that has that level of elite, an elite skill, you can use it anywhere. And being able to add him to the roster gives you one of the three best rebounders in the country, arguably the best rebounder in the country. And that's really important because those guys don't just grow on trees. You could go another five, 10 years and not find another guy and add him to the roster like AMAC. Want to keep talking about his skill set specifically on the offensive end, but first a quick word from Bet Online. BetOnline.net is your number one source for all your betting needs and sports info. Find all of the latest sports developments, odds, podcasts, and reviews for all the different leagues this season. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. Thanks again for making Locked On Texas Tech your first listen every day. We are free and available on all platforms. Here talking Fardaz AMAC, um, a very big addition literally to Texas Tech's basketball roster. Let's talk about the offensive game a little bit real quick because I I know a lot of people will look at him and think that he's just a back-to-the-basket player, but I'm I'm truly intrigued by his offensive skill set. The I've really plunged into his tape since he announced his commitment to Tech, and I'm blown away at his ability to make turnaround jumpers and make plays out of the mid post. It is something that is really, really impressive. And 
you know, while Bryson Williams had that magical touch around the rim where regardless of where he was putting it up or, or who was on him, he was making a shot. Fardoz Amak doesn't really have that yet. Um, he hasn't really proven to have that good of a touch around the rim, but he's really good at turnaround jumpers, backing a defender up to the basket, and, and then getting a good quality shot up. And I think that's something that is so, so valuable for post players because it creates another dimension of their offense. And it also makes them really, really hard to defend and encourages a lot of free throw attempts because they get fouled a lot. I mean, Bryson Williams, you think about how just versatile his offensive game was. He averaged 2.6 free throws per game. AMAC last season averaged over six. And obviously it's a different league. It's going to be really difficult for him to shoot six free throws per game in the big 12. But I think that shows that his offensive versatility is dangerous. And we're going to talk about the shot in a minute, but just around the basket and from the mid post, I'm intrigued and it still feels like there's a lot of potential for AMAC to be an efficient scorer there. Yeah. He's got one of the most diverse mid mid post games that you're going to find in college basketball. And you mentioned Justin Beanwas podcast. I'm going to add another Utah state reference i'm going to say that there's a lot in amish keda and just looking solely at his ability to kind of utilize the mid post and sort of can hit turnaround jumpers obviously he's got the little kind of push shot that he utilizes that's been kind of widely known he's obviously as a pastor i think he could use some work but he certainly got that kind of capability and has shown flashes in that sense and just his ability to sort of turn and make the make offensive decisions that aren't necessarily like predictable like he can Turn it and he has a really kind of smooth release into his sort of turnaround jumper that I find to be very effective in terms of getting his, his shot off. And he's a very kind of calculated player. And I think that's how he gets a lot of his free throws. That and his just pure tenacity. He gets a lot of free throws off of putback attempts and also off of just general aggressiveness. But he's one of the more calculated post players you're going to find. And obviously, I think that there's some limitations he has from a finishing standpoint. He kind of can seemingly rush things a little bit at times and certainly I think that he could stand to work a little bit in that sense I mean you look at his numbers around the rim last season he was 61 percent that's not great per se and certainly I mean some of it has to do with just the pure volume you took I mean when you take 171 shots there it's going to be high enough volume that you're going to have maybe a little bit of a lower percentage but still I mean in the paint he can create his own shot he can do so many different things from the post area he can be patient. I think certainly the actual shot mechanics might be a little bit rushed, but at the same time, I mean, he's someone that has a lot of different skill sets to utilize. And as you mentioned, the turnaround jumper is something that I really find to be an extremely lethal weapon out of the high post and mid post areas. And it's something we see a lot of on tape. I think you'll see it a lot of tech when he's in those kind of isolation based scenarios. And then Got a little bit of work to do on the pick and pop, I would say, but from the top of the key, that's the one area he feels really confident in with his jump shot, whether it be from mid-range or from three. It's off of screens. He can do it from a spot-up standpoint. So there's a lot that he can do there as well. So just in general, I mean, you look at his areas from the mid-post to high-post and from the top of the key, and he gives you a lot of versatility in that sense. Have I been nice and optimistic so far on this episode? Yeah. Okay, well, now I have to be a party pooper. I'm a little bit less bought into the shot than I think some people are. And uh, I, I think it's just a degree in, in terms of what we talk about his shot being. I see a lot of direct comparisons and parallels to Bryson Williams. And I don't I don't think that's very fair. Um, last season, 
uh, Fardaz Amak made 20 of 46 threes after shooting two of two the previous two seasons before that, which is a pretty incredible turnaround, uh, just to say the least, in terms of the efficiency that he that shot up with last year. It's it's really impressive. It's a testament to the work that he put in there. Uh, but but I don't think it, it's fair necessarily for a direct comparison to be made to Bryson Williams quite yet. I mean, you look at Bryson Williams' best shooting year before he came to Tech. He made 30 of 80, 31 of 87 shots at UTEP, so almost double the sample size. Then last year when he was a 42% three-point three shooter, made 40 of 96. So we're talking about a much larger sample size. Bryson has also consistently been better at the line than AMAC is. And so I don't think we're necessarily at a point where it's fair to project AMAC as a guy that's going to be shooting, you know, three threes a game and making a couple of them. And, and But here's the thing. I, I know that I, I'm being a party pooper right now, but the shot looks good. I, and I think it looks better than probably Bryson's did coming into last season. Uh, the mechanics look really good. It's really fluid. It's something that he's clearly working on a bunch. And so I think the room for improvement is there. I- I'm just a little bit more skeptical on the volume that I would project than you know I was last season when I was really optimistic on what Bryson's jumper could turn into. A little bit pessimistic, but but the foundation's there, and it looks good. A- and the room for improvement and growth there is definitely attainable. Yeah, I'm sort of conflicted on this because on one hand, like Amac's ability to shoot the three is not established yet. 46 attempts is not, or 45 attempts is not enough to have necessarily a sort of high, large sample size in that sense. But at the same token, like if you're comparing him to Bryson Williams, it's not like Bryson Williams took a ton of threes for Tech last year. I mean, he still didn't, he still was not top five on the team when it comes to shooting three-point attempts. He was someone that really only took them from the top of the key at times. Like, that was a good portion of his three-point attempts. So he was someone that his spot-up attempts were really sort of – he was top three. I've messed that up. But certainly, like, he still only made 40 on the year on 96 attempts. It's not like he was a really high-volume three-point shooter. And I think that the functionality that Amex jumper has is the same way that Williams could utilize his from the top of the key – in that you're not going to expect them to be three-point shooters per se. They don't have to be knockdown guys, but Amac looks really comfortable shooting the top of the key three. I don't feel confident in him shooting literally anywhere else on the floor. I think I saw maybe one make on tape that wasn't from the top of the key or around that area, and I don't have trust in him being a spot-up guy, but a lot of the same things that you utilize to get Williams those open threes in terms of using him off of screen actions. I think you can do the same thing with Amac, and I feel like the fact that he was willing to shoot that many and make that many is at least something to where it's trending in the positive direction that he's not going to be a complete liability out there. And when you look at Bryson Williams' season, like I don't think his three-point shooting was the most important trait to him as a player. Like, Yeah, it was something that was really nice for Tech to have kind of offset Kevin O'Banner's struggles from deep as having Williams shooting at a 40% clip, but he didn't shoot enough of them for it to be a huge difference. So it was kind of like a point here, a point there type of deal. And so functionally, AMAC having the potential to stretch out to the top of the key is going to be valuable. I don't think he can be used as a spot-up guy in the same way that Williams can, but the jumper is enough, is there enough to where I feel comfortable that's going to be something Tech can utilize to space the floor a little bit more, and especially add some variety to kind of some of the screen sets they use. 
and here's my thing. Last thing I'll say on this because we got to move on and talk about something else. But the even though Bryson Williams was not necessarily that high clip, high volume three point shooter, it's still twice as many shots as Amac took last year. And so I think if Amac is able to to take and make a, around the same amount of three point attempts that he did last season, it's a win for Texas Tech. I'm comfortable with projecting him being, you know, a forty percent three point shooter on forty threes a season. Like that, that's more than doable for him because he can generate those looks from the top of the key. What I would be less comfortable with is projecting him to improve to Bryson Williams type numbers and double the amount of shots. Okay. Let's talk about his defense, also the NBA draft, and and kind of the Texas Tech rotation. Let's hear from our sponsors real quick. All right, so defense, really quick. We're we're rushing against the clock here. Um, I'm bullish. I I really like the defense, and I think we're we're kind of switched here in terms of I'm, I'm pessimistic on the shot. I think you're a little bit more bullish on the shot. I'm more bullish on the defense. I think you're a little bit less bullish. Um. I think he's got legitimate projectable ability to guard one through four or two, two through five in the big 12. I'm still a little bit skeptical on what he can do against lead guards. And I don't think that he can be a Bryson Williams or Marcus Santos Silva type big defender when guarding those type of primary ball handlers. But I really like what I've seen. He's got um, definitely some some improvement to be made in terms of the lateral quickness, but he's got good instincts, and I think that shows in his shot blocking numbers. Even though he's not a guy that's you know putting up Musa Cisse numbers, he's a guy that's blocked uh, 1.3 shots per game last season, and then 1.7 a season before. And so the instincts are there. I think he's got a good defensive basketball IQ. I think he's he's got some work to do on on the defensive end, and and with his lateral quickness and just keeping his feet in front of him. But I think that if he buys into the system this offseason and really works on it in the way that I think we saw Bryson Williams and Marcus Santos Silva do, he's got a good chance to to be a reliable, switchable defender. Yeah, the thing about AMAC on defense is I really like the instincts. I think that it's allowed him to be an all-conference level defender at a lower level. But the problem I have is... I feel like the lateral quickness is as much of a liability as we've seen from anyone coming into tech outside of some of the project bigs in the last few years. And it's something that he can work on. It's certainly something that we saw Kevin O'Banner improve on it last year. We saw Marcus Hinto Silva. We saw to a lesser degree Bryson Williams improve as well. But if it should, if he is as poor laterally as he was at Utah Valley, it's going to be difficult for him to avoid getting exploited on the one through five switches. And that's such an integral part of what tech does. And there've been teams in the big 12 that have specifically hunted, hunted that down. And last year, I think tech kind of used it to their advantage a little bit because teams were trying to put Marcus Santos Silva in the blender and it just simply did not work at all. And so in that sense, like I feel a little bit worried that if he doesn't improve in that sense, that teams are going to be able to take advantage. And there might be situations where he is a little bit of a liability in the sense that Santos Silva was when Baylor played against tech really early in, in the year in 2020 or in 2021 and Butler was able to just exploit him. But at the same time, like if he improves that, I think the instincts are there to where if he's able to switch on to guys and is able to be remotely athletic enough to keep up with them, then I feel like, He's a good instinctive team defender. He's not going to make mistakes rotationally. They're going to kill you. And he has the talent level as a shot blocker to really improve your interior defense. So 
Um, my holdup, I think, is mainly just that lateral quickness is something that we've seen over time is difficult to improve on. Marcus Santos Silva, I feel like, is a little bit of an outlier and kind of can skew perception on that a little bit. But if you can improve that, I'll be optimistic. But right now, I just think that on tape, I can see where that sort of lateral issue is going to come into play and be a pretty big limiting factor. Yeah, I think we're in wait and see mode, and it's perfectly fair to, to be on that side of the fence. Looking at the rotation before he came in, I think it's probably fair to project that Daniel Bacho would have been the starting five, but with Amac in the fold, he immediately becomes a day one starter, no doubt about it in my mind, which pushes Bacho to the bench, assuming O'Banner will start alongside him. I, I think that's really good for the Texas Tech rotation. I don't think that anybody's feelings are hurt in terms of, you know, we talked about this yesterday with Harmon comes in and it kind of pushes Wilson out because it takes some of his minutes Daniel Bacho being pushed back to the bench in a sense is not a bad thing at all for him. I don't think he he proved that he was ready to be a day one starting big in the Big 12. I think he's got a lot of projectable um, deliverables that he can bring to Texas Tech this season. And I think that he'll be a better player than he was last year. But I still think that you're more comfortable having him as a reserve type than being a perennial starter. Yeah, Daniel Bacho if he reaches his potential and can stay healthy is absolutely a starting caliber player, but I'm very skeptical about the health. I think that's something you're going to have to be really careful about kind of avoiding putting too much burden on him right away. And I think that that was something we saw last year early on in the year where he was kind of fully healthy and kind of got his legs back under him. He looked really good, had an injury middle of conference season, had a knee procedure and it just seemingly never really came back to him. And like it's sort of the similar way to look at this upcoming year as well like do you want to risk putting Bacho as your primary guy as a starting big I have my reservations about that and I think over time it's just going to be one of those things where if AMAC comes to tech and does doesn't say in the draft then you don't have to worry about that you can play O'Banner you can play AMAC you know you have two really reliable bigs and then if Bacho comes off the bench and can be as good as he looked at times last season, then that's great. That's an, adi- an additional bonus. And if not, you still have your front court set up. And so it's really a no-lose situation. It's not one of those things like we mentioned yesterday with Miley Wilson where maybe you're kind of having a little bit of a trade-off there. And you're, there's nothing that I think Bacho necessarily brings that is going to be extremely difficult to reproduce. Obviously, I think there are things he's a little bit better at than AMAC, but from a player caliber standpoint there's no real like risk when it comes to Bacho coming off the bench compared to him starting so I like it I think it's good to bring him back into the fold and I'm pretty hopeful I'm pretty sure Bacho would be okay with it given that he's still trying to get his legs back under him and I mean we saw last season in spot minutes he had the potential to be a really really good player all right, let's talk NBA draft because I think that this is the thing that's kind of got a lot of people holding their breath. And there's obviously, you know, the the chance and the odds that he's not at Texas Tech last season because he has um, enrolled and declared for the NBA draft. Um, I actually did not know that until uh, I was watching his transfer announcement on the field of 68. And I was like, whoa, what? I mean, it's not something he's been super public about. Um, but but he said it's about a 50-50 chance right now in terms of him either coming back to college or, or going to the NBA. Um, and I'd say I think he's saying the right things, but I don't think that that's accurate. Um, unless 
he's okay with um, being an undrafted free agent or, or being a very, very late second rounder. Um, I, I don't think that the poking around that I've done w- would prove to give him an optimistic chance at, at being uh, drafted in the range that he'd probably like to. And he didn't mention um, on the show, Jeff Goodman asked him about it, if there was any certain range that he was looking at. He said, no, just going to you know get the feedback, go, go do some workouts, and then talk with my family and my agent to make the best decision that I can. And so... Um, I mean, we've, we've done this with multiple guys throughout the series of the pod, right? Where, where people will enter and they'll get feedback and I'm all for that. I think it's a great thing for players to do, but for AMAC, um, it's something that you've certainly got to monitor because it is happening. Um, but I would not be sweating it per se. I, I don't think that it's really a threat at this point. I, I think that he, he's got a chance to improve some areas of his game and, maybe get himself in the professional conversation after next season. But this is a guy that has played six games against power five teams in his career. He needs the tape against high level competition. I think he needs a little bit of improvement on his lateral quickness. And I'm, I'm not sweating the idea of him going to the NBA draft this off season. Yeah. As of now, he's a big that has the can struggle from a lateral standpoint, isn't a particularly efficient fin- finisher at the rim and doesn't really shoot the ball at a completely reliable level on high volume. So you add all those things together, and there's really nothing that makes him overly attractive to NBA guys as a prospect. And certainly that would be the same thing that we've heard from various guys. I, mean, I haven't heard anything on draft circles in terms of him being really on the radar as a late second-round pick. I mean, it wouldn't shock me, per se, to see him go the draft route, but at the same time, I feel like the odds are certainly in Tech's favor that he comes back. And it's always good to get feedback. I mean, you can hear from NBA scouts what you need to do. You can kind of get some intel from teams. There's a lot of benefits from that process, especially with a guy like AMAC that's already been in college for three years. So you've had, he's had time to sort of go through that process. And obviously, like being able to sort of get that draft feedback one year before he potentially would be going to the draft, I think it's a big benefit to him because he's not far away from being a prospect. If he improves any of those areas I just mentioned about finishing at the rim laterally or as a shooter, that changes the dynamic of him as a prospect because suddenly you're talking about an elite level rebounder that can play very confidently in the post that also has one of those areas. So for me, I think it's just getting feedback. It's a good idea. Obviously he has to say that he's kind of 50, 50 because then like, if you don't, then people aren't going to take you as seriously on the, on the process. Like I've never heard of someone that goes through that process that just outright says, yeah, no, I'm just going here for the feedback. I'm coming back to school. Don't worry. You know, like it, they might say that internally, but it ne- almost never happens in public. So I feel good about Emac playing at Texas tech, or if he doesn't, it's going to be for some unforeseen circumstance and not him staying in the draft. Excited to see what happens. I fully expect to see him in the scarlet and black next season thank you for tuning in to this Fardaz AMAC breakdown excited to get him in the fold and see what he can do as a Red Raider Texas Tech still has some scholarships open and when they use those on transfer players we will have a breakdown right here live on the Locked on Texas Tech podcast feed so be sure that you are subscribed to our feed wherever you get podcasts subscribe to our YouTube channel Follow Emory on Twitter at Eraser41. He'll have a lot of good breakdowns on the transfers. You can follow the official Locked On Texas Tech Twitter page at Locked On TTU to get notified whenever an episode goes live. 
Until our next episode, thanks for making Locked On Texas Tech your first listen every day. Now make your second listen Locked On Big 12. All your daily Big 12 news in less than 30 minutes with Big 12 expert Josh Neighbors did a good episode about NIL today. Highly suggest you go check that out. It's free and available wherever you get podcasts. Thanks for joining us, and we will see you tomorrow.